You are listening to Deeper Roots, a podcast to help equip the members of New Branch Community Church to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information, visit newbranch.com. All right, so welcome to the Deeper Roots podcast. Ken, I'm excited about the upcoming sermon series through Revelation. Uh, I think Matt and I both are really pulling for you to get it right. Well, I... uh... I, I, I would hate to disappoint you, but I, I just might. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to be fun as we dive into this because uh, this is certainly going to be one where there's going to be a difference of um, opinions and interpretations. Um, I think we're uh, largely all over the place uh, with respect to this. So it is going to be fun. Yes. It's going to be great. So, joking aside, why why Revelation? Like, given it is the Word of God, uh, it is inspired Scripture, all of that, but why Revelation and why now? Yeah, so, um, you know, as, as I was praying through um, what's next um, after our uh, two to three years in the book of Genesis, I uh, was really praying through uh, what to cover next, and um, I was led to the seven letters in chapters two and three. Um, just uh, reading through that, praying through that, um, saw that um, in in many ways, um, you know, if we see those seven historical churches um, as you know, real churches in history that were going through real things in their day and time. Um, a lot of what they were experiencing, a lot of the problems that they experienced, both inside the church as well as outside in the in the culture around them, um, has a lot of relevance to uh, the church in America in 21st century. And so, I was originally led to uh, consider just preaching those seven letters, and then as I um, did further study, was really uh, impressed by the fact that you can't really divorce those letters from the, from the book itself of Revelation. And so, um, you know, I asked myself the hard question, why wouldn't I just cover the whole thing? And, you know, my initial answer to myself was because I was intimidated by it, scared by it. Um, I think when you actually asked, when you said, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the next book. I think I jokingly said Revelation. <laughs> I think you did. I think you did. So uh, maybe that's an unhealthy influence you have on me or something. I don't know. But uh, but yeah, I, uh, that's kind of what led me to consider that. But certainly there's a, um, th- there's a healthy level of, of um, humility and, and, and perhaps even intimidation by the hermeneutical challenge in front of me. Sure. Uh, I'm, I think I'm excited. I've just read through the book in one sitting a few weeks ago. Uh, that's certainly something I would commend to everybody in our church to just take, I mean, I think it'll take like 30 minutes or something like that to read through the book in one sitting. And I think it helps get the broader sense and, and, and helps get the real, uh, the real encouragement from the book um, that that it is, and we can talk about this a little bit later. That it, it, it has something to say for us now. It's not solely um, future 
in in times things, but it has something to 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 share with us now about how we navigate uh, how we navigate a culture that um, seem seems to be increasingly uh, opposed to a gospel message and things like that. It has so much so much Absolutely. encouragement and so much of that. Just broadly speaking, Jesus wins; he's victorious. Uh, that's a great encouragement to us. Matt, what do you what do you think? What does what does the church have to gain through the study of Revelation? No, I mean I commend Ken for doing it. Uh, I would same thing. I, I would add the same. You're, you're laughing at me. Un, un, no, un, really un, not. I, I, would, I, <laughs> I would commend him because uh, he's the one that gets to do it. Yeah, he. Would, I mean, I'm 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 thankful he's the one that gets to answer all those emails on Mondays and not me. But uh, he's so the time we're recording this, we're on the second sermon in it, and it's been it's been great. Ken's doing a great job, and uh, the Lord's been gracious to the church through it. Let's think about verse 18 in chapter one. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Um, so, uh, as Christ says, uh, I'm the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Uh, and so there's a picture of our King, uh, as he, uh, expounded on this past Sunday. And, and there's so much here, like he said, so much here for the church, for encouragement. And just as, um, uh, I, even the application points from our base groups this past Sunday on, uh, the reality of the glory of this King and, and how that, um, has bearing on how we view our own sin, how we view uh, those around us who are going to meet this King who don't know Him in His mercy and grace, and uh, and how we live our lives. Do we live for His kingship or for our kingship? So there's so much here uh, in the book and the whole, uh, the seven letters as well, there's that mega theme of perseverance. Uh, I think as we live in a culture that's increasingly hostile to Christianity, we need to hear that. We need to hear that word of, of, of perseverance and faithfulness to the Lord. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, as we move through the book uh, as well, just uh, the beginning and the end of the Bible is appropriate. We just did Genesis, and there's a lot of parallels in the beginning and the ending. So the uh, Bible begins with a marriage, ends with a marriage. It begins with us in God's presence. It will end with us in God's presence. And so we see uh, all these things uh, come into play. There's, there's a lot here. Uh, and so, uh, but there will also be a lot. The church can be continue to pray for Ken. There's a lot to work through as you uh preach a Bible like this, but, uh, I mean, a Bible like this, a book like this, but I'm really looking forward to it. There's, there's much, much here and it's going to be very beneficial to the church without a doubt. Yeah. As, as Matt said, we're recording it at the, after the second week, but the, I was listening to, well, what I could listen before I had to deal with plumbing things, but it seemed like it would have, it seemed like a fun sermon to preach this past Sunday, just Jesus in oh, the glory. Of yeah. Jesus. This, this, this second week was tremendous. Um, you know, just the, this, the, the vision of the glory of Christ. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a home run text. Um, so it was, it was a joy to be able to preach that. Um, you know, I I was struck by in week one, uh, verse three, um, where, you know, John says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and to keep what is written in it for the time is near. Um, and, and, and that just <clears throat> uh, goes to um, emphasize the point that you made, Tyler, about reading this. Don't just listen, and this would be encouragement to our church, don't, li- don't just listen to these sermons. Um, read the text. Uh, read the text each week. Um, read the whole letter in one setting. I, I think I highly commend that. Um, that exercise, I mean, do that once a week. 
Um, and it's hard to do. It's hard to do because there's so much of this that we have questions about that uh, those who are prone to to want those questions answered, it's hard to just you know plug through and, and read the whole thing. But I, I think you do get a greater sense of the fact that this was a letter that a real person wrote uh, to uh, the, the churches of Asia Minor. Yeah. So there was a real people who were reading this letter for the first time, and what would they have walked away with? Uh, and that helps to 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 get yeah. that across. Yeah, I would commend that practice of reading the whole book through for anyone studying like mm-hmm. anything at any time. Um, yeah. But it was it was a real struggle to be like, is that a dragon? What does that mean? And all of that as I was reading it. So, uh, but some people, right, would have, and I've I've heard I've heard I've heard of this already. Like some people would have a bit of an aversion to Revelation. They're like, ah, Revelation. Uh, um, so some people would probably be less excited than me about the fact that we're spending, um, the next, you want to, you want to, you want to guess how many, how many sermons? Uh, I have it, I have it mapped out at about 40, 37 to 40. And I told Bob that, and he said, so I should count on a hundred, right? Well, we, so. I mean, <laughs> We don't we don't gamble, but our base group might have started a pool this past summer to figure out who could who could get closest to it. So, uh, but spending spending this next bit of time on there, there's probably some pe- folks that are not quite as excited about it because they're a little bit uh, averse to the study of Revelation, or uh, they've seen it done in different ways in the past. Um, or, I think I think there may be a couple of reasons for that. One, like you said, because of how they've seen it handled. Yeah. Um, just an overemphasis on <clears throat> one particular way of interpretation over over and against others, and and protect and perhaps even maybe antagonistic towards uh, competing v- views and and interpretations. But I think also just the fact that it is it is so different from any other kind of literature or most any other kind of scripture. Yeah. Um, you know, we just came out of Genesis. We're reading a narrative of history. We're reading what happened to these people in time. Um, we approach that, um, you know, with this, with, with a very different set of uh, interpretive tools than something like this that is so strange. And so I think, I think for some, there's an aversion just because it's just weird. Yeah. It's just some weird stuff in here. Well, I think I think that's the case, and I also think that some people have an aversion that's like, if I go too far into reading this, then I'm going to become that weird guy. Like, I'm going to start stockpiling water and something and become that, um, because I think that that's the way. Uh, and we spoke to this a little bit, but like, Revelation's not solely eschatological. Mm-hmm. It's not, and you've hit on like the future future and and all of those things in the first week primarily uh but i think that i think what uh people will see more and more as we start going through it is that it's not solely predicting the future but it has a lot to say for us right now yeah yeah i think it's both and um it it very very much is and you know we can get into later some of those interpretive uh assumptions that you you kind of have to have walking into it and and I'm I'm happy to flesh out kind of the approach that I'm taking um but um 
but yeah, it's it's going to be um, it, it's a challenge because those are we don't have to use those kinds of approaches in any other kind of most any other kind of scripture. Right. So I think also one of the things that people might feel a bit averse to is the fact that it has been held as such like inter- there's some close handed things about the book of revelation, Absolutely. But, but there's a lot of things that we need to keep in an open hand yep. um, and have a sense of like theological triage or like uh, about it. Uh, I think that it's been pretty common historically in our tribe or whatever to, to treat all of it as closed handed um, in the way that could be divisive if you're sure. And, and like you've already alluded to, and I joked about, um, these things don't have to divide us, particularly right. something as, um, it's particularly as something, uh, I won't say, I won't call it unclear, or but something that's a tough, tough book to, to read through and interpret. We, we should really uh, hold, hold our interpretations with a bit of humility there. Absolutely. I think it's uh, uh, D.A. Carson talks about um, uh, just a, a hermeneutic of, humility in approaching interpreting this this passage of text and um he he's he's one with whom i wouldn't agree with on any on on everything here and he's you know i mean he's d.a carson he's wrote written 400 books and seminary professor and 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 yet he's saying he has great humility in approaching this and so you mentioned tom schreiner changed his position well yeah i mean schreiner schreiner changed uh um, and we can talk about that later when we get to Revelation 20, but, but yeah, he was, he was teaching a seminary class and he was one eschatological view. And then, uh, within a year he was preaching to his church and studying the book of Revelation and, and changed. So if, if he can change, I've got no hope. So, <laughs> you just need to get, you just need to get the recording of the seminary class and then compare it to there. And you're like, I can see two different perspectives right here. Tom yeah, Schreiner this time, Tom Schreiner this time. But, but you know what? I, and uh, I think, I think the important thing there is really dialing back to the purpose of this book. Yeah. And if the purpose of the book were to give us a roadmap for the consummation of the ages and how everything is going to happen and in what order and at what time, um, then, then we would have to hold those things with a closed hand. Mm-hmm. But the purpose of the book is not that because it doesn't do that. Right. Um, it, it doesn't give it, give that to us in clarity. And so that's not the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book is to, uh, edify and encourage that first century church. Yeah. And by way of consequence, our church and, and the churches of today. Um, and, and so um, all that we, as we unpack the dragon, as we figure out the seals, as, as we look at all of that symbolic imagery, um, our interpretation has to go through the lens of how does this equip and encourage yeah. the New Testament church to endure times of tri- trial and suffering? Yeah. So on that, like, on the different different views, I know that historically we've had on our elder board, and even right now, at least multiple different big views of the millennium alone. Yep. Um, two, three, maybe even four views that it, like represented at one time a, a, among the elder board. Um, so, what, are there four? Are there four views of the millennium? Are there four views? 
What? Uh, pre, um, pre, well, pre post, uh, and well, I'm, I'm, yeah, but I'm, I'm differentiating one, two different kinds of pre. So, okay, yeah, 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 which I think is worth yeah, doing. Absolutely. Um, the, uh, and I don't know that we've had all four views represented at one time, but I know that they have been, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I know that we've had a lot of those views and I, I haven't, we haven't pulled the elders yet to figure out where they stand on this, but, um, the, uh, I, let me say that I haven't, you guys probably did as you were talking with folks, but, um, what are the, what are those challenges? Like you're preaching to, you're preaching on a Sunday morning and you look around and you know that there's people that like are going to take a different view. Like I, what are those challenges when it comes to preaching that? I think one of them is, you know, t- uh, typically, as you're preaching a text, you want to be able to say, thus saith the Lord. Yeah. Um, this is one of those texts that I think um, it's it, it makes sense if we're approaching this with a hermeneutic of humility to say, this is where I fall on this. Um, however, uh, th- there's, a, there's a couple of other um, uh, very legitimate and rational ways of interpreting this. Um, and so being able to not draw stark lines of demarcation and black and white, um, operate within the gray graciously, um, with humility. Um, but, but I think also it's, it, it's important as the one who is proclaiming it to say, this is where I am. This is, this is why I fall here. And again, from, from now until the midway point of revelation chapter 20, um, my perspective may change. Um, and so that's, that's part of my hesitancy, even in diving into this to know that, uh, that there is a, there's a, there's a chance that, you know, God can change how I view, um, the book of revelation, uh, in terms of its, uh, future orientation versus past orientation and some sort of mix of the two. Um, you know, so, in, in, in launching into this series, I'm, I'm ready for that. I'm, yeah. I'm ready if, if the Lord changes my perspective. Yeah. Now, there are some things, though, like Revelation is not like, okay, just there are some things that we would have to hold at, like the as far as in times or something like that. There are some things that like our, our, our statement of faith does allow for each of these views that we've that we've kind of alluded to the post post-millennial, all-millennial, pre-millennial yeah. Uh, in both forms of premillennialism, yep. um, but there are some things about the end that we we're saying you must believe as far as to be a member of this church. What are what are those things? Uh, to to in order to be a member, well, like like what what are the things that you say? Yeah, the, the things out, that are close handed. Uh, yeah, the close handed thing. What are the close handed things? Jesus wins. Yeah. Jesus wins, um, and he's coming back. You know, the perusia, the glorious return of Christ. Um, man, much much beyond that, we're getting into gray. Right. And we talk about, you know, when and how. Um, but Jesus is coming back. Yeah. Um, and he will, he will set up the, um, uh, the new heaven and the new earth, you know, the final state. Um, and um, you know that that the enemy that that we fight against sin and Satan is defeated, <clears throat> and his ultimate defeat will uh, will 
be certain and is already secure. So the Baptist Faith and Message, or reading directly from our website, we believe in the visible and personal return of Jesus Christ in order to fulfill biblical prophecy regarding future events. That's something that we are all in agreement on. Yep. All views are in agreement on. Absolutely. Uh, at death, the souls of those who have trusted Christ for salvation pass immediately into his presence and there remain in conscious bliss until the resurrection of the body at his coming for the church, when soul and body of each believer will be reuni reunited and shall remain in constant conscious worship of him and communion with him and one another forever in glory. Didn't realize how wordy this was before I started reading. <laughs> we believe that the souls of unbelievers remain in, in conscious misery after death until the final judgment, at which time those souls and bodies reunited shall be cast into the lake of fire, not to be annihilated, but to be eternally tormented in conscious punishment with no hope of God's redeeming grace. So each of those views kind of alluded to uh, would hold all of those things in common. Um, and then there would be some other views that would probably be outside of that that just um, wouldn't fall in line with our statement of faith. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that, those are the things that are closed-handed. Yeah. Um, so what, and Matt, you got to hop in here as well. Um, what, are, what would be some of those key interpretive decisions that you like structurally about the book like people are trying to figure out where they land on things i mean you alluded to some of these in i think week one um what are the things that they have to that that people have to think through as they try to decide where do i land on this matt I, I, on the spot no, i'm all i'm all i'm all ears for ken <laughs> Well, are, are you talking about in terms of like, so, the, the, the different camps of future orientation versus past orientation? Yeah, I think there's a few things like, right? Like is, is there's someone, there's something there's you and you're reading all the commentaries. You have them actually sitting on the table right here to show us how much you're reading. Yes, they're here. Um, the, there's questions about even like the way the structure is, right? Like, is it chronological all the way through or is it telling the same thing and re reciprocating the event? Like those are some questions that people have to think through. Yeah. So, um, and, and this is why in our, in our first week we, we covered the, the kind of genre that it is, because I think you have to look at it in terms of that. This is not, this is not a book that is, uh, a, a, an historical narrative right. that you can just follow the chronological sequence of events. It's a letter, um, uh, letters don't necessarily follow a chronological uh, timeline. Um, it's it's it claims to be prophecy. It says that it's prophecy, um, but that is not always uh, foretelling. Sometimes it's simply forthtelling. This is this is God's word, and so God is speaking this. Um, but it's also that weird thing called apocalyptic literature, which is highly symbolic, highly. Um, dependent on Old Testament Im imagery. So uh, we've got to be got to be comfortable with how we approach Old Testament prophecy. Yeah. It has to be interpreted in line with the Old Testament prophecy. Um, By the way, I think that must be like a whole lot more to study. Like you, this past oh, yeah. week, you're like in Ezekiel and then you're in Daniel and then like it. Yeah, it I mean, literally, uh, G.K. Beale uh, who kind of wrote the preeminent commentary uh, for the New International Greek uh, Testament commentary. Um, 
uh, notes that there's there's more allusion to the Old Testament um, in the book of Revelation than in all of Paul's writings combined, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, and um, it, it's a challenge. Sure. When when trying to interpret it and, and understand it, but bottom line is you you have to you, you can't interpret prophecy one way and revelation another way. Yeah. yeah those have to be in alignment. Uh, in in large measure, um, I think I think one of the biggest things is um, do we interpret this literally? Do we interpret this uh, uh, in an allegorical manner? Um, is, is it speaking in a figurative language? Um, and, and I'll just tell you where I am in that is yes. Yeah, uh, it's not one or the other. Right. I do think parts of it are literal. But those that that push for a little interpretation can't do it all the time. Right. Jesus is the Lamb. He's not. We, we can't. We can't interpret that literally. Right. Um, ni- neither can we say that if it's allegory or figurative that it's never literal, mm-hmm. because we can we can look at Jewish historians. Um, and Roman historians who can point to these churches in Asia Minor. These are real, literal churches. And so uh, it has to be a combination of those things. Uh, As we're wrapping up, what would you say, Matt, you got to get on the board here first. What would you say your hope would be that our church gets, like, what's the biggest takeaway? From, From the study of Revelation, what would you say you want our church to walk away with? Um. I hope their faith in um, in the Lord increases as we study this, uh, the beauty of God's plan, um, uh, that one day uh, there will be those from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathering around the throne, uh, that God will, uh, uh, will be near to His people again, will be in His presence forevermore, and there, all things will be new, uh, and we won't have the need for things like what we hear right now, which are sirens in the background, right? There'll be no more brokenness. Um, and, and I do hope that that, that confidence in Christ uh, will uh, – if we think about the context of what they were facing this and, and pressures and threats that they faced, uh, John's original audience, it, that, yeah, nothing compares to the glory of Christ and that, that we can uh, persevere with our confidence in Him, uh, that He will bring – that God will bring everything to its rightful conclusion, that He indeed is the Alpha and Omega. So yeah. that would be my hope. Yeah. I, I think for me, I'm hoping – that this really helps helps our people to see that Jesus is that Jesus wins, even when it looks like uh, around us it's you know more hostile to Christianity, more hostile to the gospel. That that our study of this helps us to have bold, uh, courageous, still recognizing that in the end we're on the winning side of this because. Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, I think that would be my biggest hope to see that in our church is walking away with just really strengthened in that in this culture that we walk in. Yeah, and 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 if if, if I could add just amen to those, um, but a, kind of a missional outcome to yeah. this is you know I'm reminded that Jesus says that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached uh, to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. Yeah. So to whatever degree this points to the end and certainly the return of Christ, um, that Jesus says that this, this gospel, the gospel of the, the good news of Jesus will be preached, you know, 
in in all tongues to the ends of the, ends of the nations, uh, to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. And so we've got marching orders. If we want Christ to return, um, if we want an end to brokenness, um, if if we want that Maranatha come, Lord Jesus, um, let's let's keep sharing the gospel. Let's take this good news to the ends of the earth, so that the end uh, will come in. Amen. Final question. Can I preach Revelation 20? Uh, yes. I will tell you the location <laughs> and the time. <laughs> can, Matt, can Matt preach Revelation 20? No, I'm kidding. I don't want, <laughs> Absolutely. I don't, I don't want any part of this series. I'm going to leave all of this fun to you. I think uh, I think we should end with everybody telling them what their view is on the end times. That's what I think. <laughs> what camp are you in? Yeah. All right. Um, they just well, dodged that, by the way. Yeah, I'm just editing yeah. this out at this point. <laughs> so that's the... Uh, that's uh, yeah. that's this week's episode of Deeper Roots. Roots run deep.